I can do that if nobody else wants to uh, step in. I didn't read it. Uh, Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) You think I prepare for this shit? (laughs) No, no, uh, we don't. (laughs) (laughs) We have never, we have never accused you. I've been given no indication at all that you prepare. It has come to our attention that a mysterious force is loose somewhere in outer space. The mysteries of creation are there. Up in the sky? Up in the sky. The moon and the planets are there. And new hopes for knowledge and peace are there. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 11 of Mike Dicta, America's best named legal podcast. I am your host, Charles Starr. Uh, we have a bunch of returning favorites uh, on the pod with us today and uh, welcoming a new member to the panel. Uh, let's start uh, Let's start with uh, our veterans first uh, with us, as almost always, uh, is Tarek. I'm the hell dude. <laughs> Uh, making, making his, yeah, you know what? I'm starting to do this and I'm done with it. I don't remember how many episodes anyone's been on anymore. I don't have a spreadsheet. Who cares? I know everyone counts for themselves, but that's not good. All right. Uh, up next, uh, with us is, uh, Michael. Hey everybody. Uh, another, uh, frequent guest, uh, panelist, panelist, not guest. Uh, everyone say hello to Christina. What's up? And for the first time, new to the pod, uh, everyone welcome Rhiannon. What up? Hi. Uh, Good to have, uh, we've got a lot going on uh, this week. We always have just the nature of, uh, the nature of doing a podcast about legal news is that there are essentially two types of legal news we cover. Uh, Stuff that's funny and stuff that sucks. And so this week we have something that I didn't even know we would get, uh, which is why it's great that Rhiannon is with us this week. We've got something that's actually good, right? It's not funny. It doesn't suck. It's good. Uh, The new uh, district attorney in Philadelphia, Larry Krasner, has given new guidance to all of his prosecutors, which essentially turn the office of the district attorney on its head the way he said he would do during his campaign and uh, the way no one sort of ever expected him uh, to actually be able to do it. Uh, Rhiannon, you want to sort of talk a little bit about uh, what he's got in his new uh, guidance? Sure. So um, this is all really exciting to me. Um, I wanted to start by just saying, like, marry me, Larry Krasner, call me. I'm, <laughs> Larry I'm ready. Krasner can hit the back walls. <laughs> yeah, Larry Whoa. Krasner is zaddy. Um, okay, so, um, so yeah, a, <laughs> really, a really, um, a really kind of revolutionary, interesting, um, following up on his promises kind of thing. He has released a memo um, to his assistant district attorneys, to the DA's office, that um, calling for some really, um, 
I think what could be identified as like an overhaul really of, of how things have been done in Philly um, up until now. So for example, some things include, um, you know, seeking less time on um, probation for um, uh, less serious crimes. Um, he's um, directing that his assistants um, kind of divert more cases to diversionary courts, um, seeking alternatives to incarceration. Um, some big ones that I think a lot of people are uh, interested in and excited about. No prosecution of marijuana cases, no matter the weight. So not just, um, you know, not just if you're caught with your roach right, or no whatever. Possession exactly. No possession cases. Exactly. No possession cases. I think he'll still, I think, I, I think they can still go after people who are clearly dealing, but they're not going to go after people on just simple possession. possession. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, um, I think some to me, I think the most interesting of what most interesting thing that he did uh, was with respect to plea bargaining, uh, which is instead of the sort of standard practice of coming in with guns blazing. And if you're intending to plead a case, have your plea offer being at the high end of the sentencing range. He basically directed his people to to start the plea negotiations at the low end of the sentencing range on a sort of variety of cases. So you sort of don't end up incarcerating people for longer than you actually have to. Right. You know, more than fits the crime, sort of just for its own sake or to show how tough you are or whatever. Like it just sort of turns the plea negotiation into something that's much more about fairness and proportionality instead of just kind of prosecutorial dick swinging. Absolutely. Which I think is just amazing. Well, what I think is the most interesting about all this is that, you know, you have a lot of DAs who come in promising, like, big things. Like, I mean, a lot like Krasner said. I mean, like like, like, like what he was promising. But, you know, when they get in the office, they usually cite things like public opinion or just, um, you know, their employees don't really want to go along with it. But like, he's like doing it, you know. Right. Well, well, Krasner had to fire like right. thirty ADAs or, or something because they were not on board with this, and he he basically was like, "Well, in that case, you know, get the fuck out because this is this is the direction we're going." Um, yeah, I mean, the police are not surprisingly <laughs> like the local police union ha- is yeah. furious. Um, if you're pissing off the police union, of you're doing you're doing a good job. I think is a right. But I mean, you know, it is a bit of a minefield, right? There was an article, some cop uh, was killed and the killers are, you know, there's been this death penalty case for them that's been working their way through the system. And now there's going to be a hearing uh, or like an internal meeting about whether or not to seek the death penalty under Krasner. And there's, you know, headlines in the major Philly papers about this and how the cops think he's siding with criminals, you know, and siding against the victim's family and things mm-hmm. like that and against cops. And, you know, that's, that's tough. That's a big sort of institutional barrier, um, especially if you're elected to see headlines yeah. like that. One, that thing I, yeah. one thing I really liked uh, about this is that uh, he forces um, his ADAs to do the math on the cost yeah. of incarceration yeah. um, and to, to sort of take, you know, the $42,000 or whatever it is a year uh, that it costs to house somebody uh, in a in a penitentiary somewhere, uh, and do the math and decide, you know, is this really worth it? Um, which, you know, 
gets to the point of, you know, throwing a book at somebody in a plea deal, but trying to make them think economically about what makes sense for uh, the people of Philadelphia. And, and not just and not just make the ADAs think about it, right? Like the memo not only lays out the $42,000 of literal housing costs, but it includes all kinds of like peripheral costs, things that the budget could be used for otherwise. Mm-hmm. But also they make the ADAs say it as part of their sentencing recommendation right. <laughs> to make the judges think about it. Like right. it's one thing for you to be like a hanging judge and show how tough on crime you are, but are you also like a budgetary nightmare? Like every time you send someone on a kind of low level theft charge away for two years, you're wasting $100,000 of the city of Philadelphia's money because some guy, you know, stole an Xbox or whatever. And it just barely made like whatever charge. And so it really, it really makes you think sort of a lot about cost benefit in terms of uh, incarceration in the same, and in the same light as the, the marijuana stuff, he also, uh, Rhiannon mentioned the diversionary courts. That's what he said about prostitution, right? No arrests if they have less than two priors. Right. And if they have two or more or three or more priors, then they get they get referred to a diversion court, which I guess helps uh, helps people charged with uh, with prostitution get out of the sex trade, which, you know, I mean, there are probably different perspectives on, like, how you want to handle the prosecution of sex workers overall. Uh, And this isn't sort of all the way woke on that, but it's a lot better than I think any any other (laughs) prosecutor's office will handle this kind of thing. And so it's at least in the right direction. What I think is most um, exciting to me, maybe in in that he's, um, you know, t- totally changing the culture on its head, like we said, totally rethinking how how prosecution works. What's really exciting for me about Krasner being elected and his kind of maybe, um, you know, initial success, though we'll see um, eventually how his legacy is written. Um, it's the the idea that progressive candidates um, are, are starting to value maybe a different kind of experience. So for years, if you've run for district attorney, um, you've been, uh, it's because you've been in the district attorney's office for a while, you sent a bunch of people to prison, you worked with the cops, and now you have a couple ideas about how to make that process more efficient or or something, right? But, but Krasner here, I think, symbolizes... Um, um, it sort of pivots what we traditionally thought was was impossible to value in a candidate for district attorney, um, which is, you know, I've spent a career on the other side. I don't think any of this is OK. None of this makes sense. Um, cops have operated without accountability for way too long. And I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something about that. So um, that thinking differently uh, in the way that sort of, you know, defenders do um, is not anathema to the role of a district attorney. He's sort of oh, both an outsider and an insider. Exactly. Right? I mean, exactly. He understands the oh. system, but is not beholden to uh, all of the baked in interests of uh, of the systemic side uh, of all of it. Was he a PD is, yeah, before he was DA? I don't remember. He's a defense attorney. Yeah. I think, oh, right? okay. Well, no, no, no. But I think Christine attorney. is asking yeah. like what his career arc was. Like if he spent any time training 
on the prosecutor side, and I don't know. No, I, I'm pretty sure that he didn't. I saw an interview where I think he started his career maybe at a public defender office, but um, I don't think he was a PD for very long, but never never has prosecuted a case. That's so fucking cool. Um, He's just. I think I think one of the things uh, building on uh, what Rhiannon said about uh, about sort of in rethinking the relationship with the police is that apparently there was like a a buried memo in the district attorney's office of like twenty something cops who could not be called to testify because of a history of perjury. And also, like, other and crimes. Burglary <laughs> right. was on there. Yeah. yeah. Which is, like, EWI, a, a yeah. lot of so stuff. The, so, yeah. so just, like, a like an internal do-not-call list, right. which I guess had been hidden from public view. I don't know if it had been hidden from FOIA or whatever. Like, there, it just had never been disclosed. And he not only, I think, disclosed it, but he also asked his office to investigate whether other officers should be added to the list. Yes, drag like them. To, like to check the backlog. And, and it, like, that is just, I mean, if you want to know why the police are in Philadelphia are furious, right. right? But, but I mean, that kind of speaks to police culture, is that they would object to... Uh, object to the outing of the people who uh, have been known to test a lie. Yeah. They're, they're, uh, you know, I think in theory, you'd say that they're disgracing the shield, right. But the, the union will rally around them, um, which is kind of, you know, they're perverse incentives there. Well, the people uh, that, yeah. the people that made that list were the people that were complicit in, uh, you know, putting those arrestees that those cops dragged in, uh, in jail. Right. I mean, like w- right. one of those cops, uh, was the guy who uh, who busted Meek Mill, right? Uh, right? Who then received some egregious uh, probationary sentence of like ten years and has been in and out of jail uh, on violations uh, because of that. So, I mean, the, the 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 makers of the list were the, the were the sort of system, you know the system uh, DAs uh, that came before him, which is even worse. Um, one of the coolest things to me about the memo was that it addressed sort of the thing that got Meek Mill was that you know he is specifically asking for shorter probationary periods or no exactly. probationary periods. And, you know, sort of tying it back into the thing where he was talking about how, how much it costs to incarcerate people. It's also really expensive to monitor people on probation. And yeah, so supervise user, yeah. Right. So that was one of the more revolutionary things about the memo to me, is that just sort of reducing the amount that these people are surveilled. And, and I, want to, I want to mention really quickly something like, uh, that's not in the memo, but I think is also, you know, revolutionary, which is not seeking bail for nonviolent crimes, which is something that his office is committed to. And that's, I mean, mm-hmm. that is basically, you know, one of the worst uh, inequities in our system, which is, you know, basically sending people to jail for being poor. Yeah, uh, it's a right? total, it's a total trap. And, and to Christina's point about, um, probation and surveilling people, um, that's a complete trap as well. And I think Krasner has made a point of saying that, like, when we're surveying right now, you know, Philadelphia, I read at any given time is is surveying, you know, somewhere around 50,000 people at a time um, and how that really diverts resources away from, um, you know, solving important crimes. It builds uh, on what uh, what Christina brought up, which is like the the shorter tail probations. 
And I think what it brings up is the potential limits of what Krasner is doing, because one of the things that I've read is that some of the judges uh, in Philadelphia are somewhat resistant to the lower uh, sentencing asks that the new regime is bringing in, right? Like the judges are not bound. Like uh, even, I think, and even in plea circumstances, they, the district attorney's office can't promise anything if the judge decides to go above the plea agreements in some cases. And especially, I think that would be true with respect to probation. And it, like in Meek Mill's case, the judge has progressively added on to probation. Like each time he violates, she just sort of stretches the tail out yep. to keep him under her thumb. And like if the if there's no buy in from the judiciary, like a lot of this reformist stuff may end up kind of crashing on the shoals of judicial resistance if they want to just keep locking people up for a long time. So what we have to do is we need to clone Larry Krasner and then make him be all the civil servants in Pennsylvania. (laughs) (laughs) No, but he is the only option. And it'll be hitting all the back walls. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Lady justice. (laughs) No, just to say really quickly that I I think, um, you know, as a as a as a defense attorney, I'm in the South. I'm thinking a lot about how culture shifts um, every day. And, um, you know, I think going up against um, judges who who don't think that your client is a human being, who don't think your client is, you know, deserving of a second chance, all of that stuff that happens. Um, changing that culture happens incrementally. And um, I think that, uh, you know, a DA's office that's committed to this is a huge, huge step to um, changing judges' minds, too. The second one is going to be a popular demand story uh, that got uh, just added at the last minute because the news moves too fast for a weekly podcast. (laughs) There's just too much law. There is too much law going on. And so, of course, we are going to try to be as timely as possible, which is to say not particularly (laughs) timely uh, by the time this drops. Uh, But... Stormy Daniels, baby, amended complaint and 60 minutes interview uh, suing suing Donald Trump for what is my favorite new, uh, my favorite new style of complaint, which is rich idiots who sign agreements with NDAs and then break them by calling their counterparties liars, <laughs> right? Leading, leading to defamation cases and allegations that they've breached the NDA. So far, by my count, we've got Bill O'Reilly. We've got Donald Trump. I'm pretty sure Harvey Weinstein um, and, uh, and Michael Cohen now with Stormy Daniels. <laughs> Uh, I feel like there are more. It's like the world's most expensive ones. cell phone. I mean, like. <laughs> yes. 
Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's so that's what happened. I mean, I think we should probably talk about Michael Cohen, who we have never addressed on this podcast, as far as I'm aware. Our compatriot, uh, a fellow I'm not lawyer. I, I, no, the the episode episode eight. Uh, the, obviously, the panel talked about Michael Cohen a fair amount, uh, but he's back. Yes. <laughs> Michael Cohen yes. can't stay out of Mike Dicta because he has just been added uh, to uh, to the amended Stormy Daniels complaint for defamation, literally just for calling Stormy Daniels a liar. Michael um, Cohen is a messy amazing. bitch who loves drama. <laughs> <laughs> so does someone else, uh, since I've been now talking for 30 minutes about this, does someone else want to kind of talk about the Stormy Daniels complaint generally, how it's structured? Um, so the the uh, Stormy Daniels or Stephanie Clifford um, complaint uh, is the, the amended complaint, the one that was. Sorry, uh, also Peggy Peterson. Peggy Peterson, right. PP. PP. Um, is, uh, I think the new one is very strong. Um, and she brings a number of claims. Uh, she's asking for, uh, a declaratory judgment, um, from the court to basically say that the NDA is garbage, um, as well as suing Cohen for defamation. Um, I think the Cohen defamation claim is a little weaker. Yeah. Um, but uh, she basically lays out a number of reasons why she doesn't think the NDA is good amongst them that uh, it was in pursuit of an illegal end, which is violating campaign finance laws, which we discussed on episode eight, um, that Trump didn't even sign it, um, which is true and probably fatal, in my opinion, uh, for really? Trump. Yeah, I'd I'm say, not sure about that. Actually, well, I mean, we'll get. I'll, to I'll it, defend that. I'll defend that. Um, you know, and uh, it, it's void for public policy reasons. Um, you know, it's a it's a strong complaint, I, I think, and that Cohen defamed her by calling a lot her a liar. Um, on top of that, and for his part, Michael Cohen has sued her for twenty million dollars um, for violating the NDA, which provides for uh, a liquidated damages provision for $1 million for every violation. For her, for her only. I mean, the, there's liquidated damages provisions if she breaks the, the deal. Right, right. Um, but there's no, there's no concomitant uh, liquidated damages uh, for their breaking the deal. And, of course, you right. know, Cohen can't stop talking about this goddamn thing right. uh, to save his life. Right. And isn't that one of, sorry, but isn't that one of her um, allegations as well as part of the complaint? Part of the, the declaratory judgment claim uh, that the whole thing is, vi- is void uh, is that uh, it's unconscionable in part because uh, it imposes these obscene penalties on her. And uh, again, nothing right. on, on Trump. And specifically, specifically to actually remind people that this is a law podcast, the point of liquidated damages is to actually represent someone's actual damages. Right. And they are not supposed to be a penalty provision. And by making it a million dollars for each breach, and then Cohen through this kind of ex parte arbitration where they just like in the middle of the night got an arbitrator to kind of <laughs> file some injunction uh, honoring the agreement that but ba- and then turning it into a damages case. I mean, they just ignored the arbitrator's ruling, but the all of that, the one sided arbitration provision, the onerous liquidated damages provision that bear no relation to any damages, the attempt to enforce it not by Trump, 
but by Cohen's Shell Corporation, which exists only to pay off Stormy Daniels and has no (laughs) other purpose. It's like suing in its own name when it has no assets or presence and could sustain no damages itself. Like all of it kind of builds up to be like a an unconscionable contract, which is void in the Latin term ab initio right. uh, from from its inception. It has never been valid. And, and I just want to call attention to, um, you know, as we mentioned in the last episode eight, uh, Michael Cohen can only be loosely described as a lawyer. And I want to call attention to some poor lawyering here, which is that the NDA um, only entitles Donald Trump to arbitration and only entitles Donald Trump uh, to liquidated damages. So Michael Cohen is suing for something that by the terms of the agreement, he's not even entitled to. Uh, and yeah. it's an agreement that he, you know, presumably drafted. Uh, he's the only one who signed it. So you'd think that he, if anybody, he would be the one who's familiar with it, but uh, didn't think to uh, put himself in those provisions. Um, I think I think the nature of Michael Cohen's genius <laughs> is revealed, if in no other place, uh, that the first page of the NDA, uh, which is not just a title page, right. is called page zero. <laughs> right. Incredible. It's a contract that has a page zero. Right. Which seems amazing to me. But I, as for the signature thing, like that, that to me, I think the signature argument is just how Stormy Daniels' uh, attorney has kind of ginned up a way to complete, to like talk about this in the press without uh, risking any kind of sanctions, even if they rule against him. Because the parties in the case are referred to as EC, which is the Shell Corporation. Essential consultants. Right. Right. Though they don't even, I mean, I guess there are places where it refers to the full name, but at the beginning it just says EC LLC (laughs) and or David Dennison, which is the Trump alias. Right. Right. So by phrasing it as EC and or David Dennison, I think it sets it up so that EC can sign in Trump's place, but it doesn't make them equivalent for all purposes. Right. Right. And so I don't know that they really. Well, so to press, I don't know. I'll press back on that point though, which is that, you know, the, the NDA isn't simply uh, money from Trump or EC to Daniels in exchange for her silence. Um, The NDA also has specific warranties from Trump not to sue. Uh, he makes a, a, a variety of promises in the NDA. He individually, um, in his alias, uh, but that he won't sue, that he won't, I think, contact her family or something like this. But there are a number of things that, um, you know, I think uh, you would require his, his individual signature for. And I think it's especially true because the signature lines um, delineate sort of him or his attorney, and then Cohen acting as EC's attorney. Like, I, I, yeah, kind of. I mean, I think I just think like on the DD line, like on each page, there's like there's a signature on each page, and there's a signature at the end, and it's arguable that DD is an abbreviation for EC, the company, and or David Dennison. 
EC is what appears on all of the signature lines by DD. Like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying I don't think it's a slam dunk. I think when they argue that EC had the capacity to sign on behalf of Dennison, whoever he is, that may hold up in terms of, like, there are other arguments that, you know, may survive and may make the whole thing valid ab initio, but I don't know that, uh, I don't know that it's exactly a slam dunk that uh, Trump didn't sign, even though the only reason he didn't sign was for future deniability. Right. No, but Cohen, oh. Cohen's in an agent relationship with him, though, right? I mean, he's, he's his lawyer. Uh, the, 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 the consideration was given. She got the $130,000. I, I feel like the signature is, is kind of a formalistic argument, whereas, you know, far more... Uh, meaty in my in my estimation is the idea that you you know it's against public policy to buy somebody's silence in this context, <laughs> right. and, and in fact the reinsta- the restatement of contracts uh, yeah. the first example of an illegal contract is a candidate for political office uh, buying somebody's silence. Uh, yeah, that's that's amazing. <laughs> right. So so for for our, our lay listeners, the restatements are these sort of tomes that legal scholars uh, produce where they survey, you know, federal and various state laws around the country and basically consolidate and state the general principles. And so that's why they're called restatements. Uh, and so uh, as Stormy Daniels' complaint cites, the restatement of contracts um, basically says this is the paradigmatic Example of a contract illegal that's contract. illegal yep. <laughs> for for being yep. against public policy. You can you uh, can right. really tell that neither Brianna nor I practice corporate law because we have been silent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like I don't know what these words mean. Restatement. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I um I do like also that uh that both. Uh, Karen McDougal and uh, Stormy Daniels um, threw in the FEC stuff because, yep. um, you know, presumably Cohen um, and American Media Inc. will have to deny that in their answer and say that that's not true. But so then if these suits, you know, survive a motion to dismiss and that becomes a contested fact you can actually depose them on uh, on those issues and get into the record, um, yeah. and, you know, and subpoena documents related to that, which are documents related to potential criminal activity. So, you know, it's that's that's kind of gets my uh, gets me a little tingly. There was one sentence in here which uh, I thought was uh, interesting, where they said something like. Uh, uh, wait, where the hush agreement is without uh, lawful object or purpose. Uh, because New York, because Cohen was uh, subject to the New York rules of professional conduct, mm-hmm. uh, and they they kind of imply that he certainly wouldn't do anything to violate the rules of professional conduct, which I think absolutely requires ignoring his whole career. To this point. <laughs> right. Right. But I mean, but at the same time, they're like, if Mr. Cohen's public statements are true, Peren, which is unlikely. <laughs> they're straight up calling him a liar. Yeah. Is, um, and I think they can straight up call him a liar because I think there's a litigation privilege, right. which allows you to say right. that in a complaint, which is different from saying it on the evening news. Right. Well, I love that he's in the position of denying, you know, having having threatened uh, her into silence after his whole 
uh, rant at that Daily Beast reporter that we covered right. in episode yes. eight. You know, I will yeah. find you in the courthouse and I will end, you know, you and everyone you ever loved. Uh, you know, he's, he's certainly right. on the record as uh, having uh, been a little uh, tart yeah. with people in the past. And of course, of course, Stormy Daniels is alleging that she was physically threatened, right? That someone kind of pulled the classic... That's a lovely daughter. I'd hate to see her grow up without a mother. I mean, I don't put that past Trump and his people at all. Like, Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, and it's not even like Trump can be like, well, that certainly doesn't sound like something I would do. That's exactly what Buzzfeed, Cohen did before. <laughs> right. Because, well, I mean, it's what Cohen did to the Daily Beast. There was an article uh, that BuzzFeed published last year of multiple allegations of people receiving physical threats after getting sideways to Trump. One was a bondholder who uh, who was trying to block a cram down uh, that would allow, I guess, Trump to retain some equity or something when the Taj was going bankrupt. And some guy basically called him on his BlackBerry a couple of days after a contentious meeting between Trump and the bondholders and physically threatened him. And he's like, the, the call is literally like, this is Carmine, and I don't know why you're <laughs> fucking with Mr. Trump, but whatever. And like what cracked me up about it in the BuzzFeed article is that uh, BuzzFeed is like, the Trump organization says that they don't have anyone named Carmine who works for them. And I'm like, Carmine's not his fucking name, guys. Carmine, Carmine is just like some some goon for Trump doing improv and picking a goomba name. Probably was watching like Laverne and Shirley and just like comes up with just eating family style in Times Square. And so Carmine is the name he yells. So what's the over or under on um, Michael Cohen getting disbarred in the next six months? I don't think it'll be six months, but I, I, he's, he's something's going to happen to him. Something's going to happen. I think that's the end result for him at the very least. I mean, I don't think he's going to win $20 million and (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to put that out there. I don't think he's going to win that. And I do think he's going to end up disbarred. I am not investing in the EC IPO, even though they are alleging that there may, there may be a windfall in the corporate coffers. (laughs) Michael Cohen is Nolan void. That's what we're. (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, the hits keep coming on this thing. Like Summer, if people remember Summer Zervos, Summer Zervos was a former Apprentice contestant who uh, who claims that Trump uh, tried to trade uh, like a job offer for sex, and then when she kind of refused his advances, they like they still or he his agents still offered her a job, but like at an incredibly low ball price, like offer you know like half of what she was expecting to be paid and she just kind of ate it and didn't say anything until the access hollywood tape came out and then she kind of went public with her story and trump then called her a liar in like multiple media appearances and like one campaign stop after another just kept referring to every woman coming out of the woodwork as a liar, is a liar, is opportunistic. Hillary Clinton put her up to it. 
And so, of course, he, she sues for defamation. Right. And he tries to get it dismissed on the grounds that he's the president, which, I mean, one of his big campaign stunts was to bring out Paula Jones and parade her before the cameras. And if he had talked to her for a couple of minutes, she would have explained to him why this wouldn't work. (laughs) Because uh, anyone old enough to remember knows that this was Bill Clinton's attempt to get out of Paula Jones' litigation against him. And the Supreme Court of the United States of America said that the president couldn't duck a civil suit about his private conduct merely on the grounds that he was the president and it's distracting. Right. Right. And so he lost. But the opinion also lists all of the times that he went into some public place and called Summer Zervos a liar. And so he's like, no, absolutely. This uh, survives a motion to dismiss. And so you're going to have to deal with this. So at some point, Summer Zervos' attorney is going to try to get him to do a dep- sit for a deposition uh, in New York to deal with her claim. Because he can't, he can't just say he remembers it differently. Right. He's gotta, he's gotta call her a liar <laughs> on the on the Hillary payroll <laughs> on the record, <laughs> on the record, yeah. in front of a screaming crowd of fans. Um, you know, on the subject of defamation, really quickly before we wrap up, I just wanted to mention. Um, I had said earlier that I thought uh, Stormy Daniels' claim is weak. Uh, and just on that point, you know, they point to one statement that Cohen had made. It was a written statement in response to an advocacy group sending a complaint to the Federal Election Commission. This was sort of the spur of our last uh, segment mm-hmm. on this. Um, and so it's not clear that the statement was directed at her. We're talking about her allegations as untrue. He definitely said something is untrue, but it's not clear whether he's saying common causes complaint that he violated federal law is untrue or whether he's saying, you know, Stormy Daniels saying that she had sex with Trump is untrue. And so uh, that's what well, it wait, is. Let me see. Yeah. That, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident that I have the facts. Correct. I mean, he says just because fight. something isn't true Shots doesn't fight. mean it can't cause harm or damage. I will always protect Mr. Trump. <laughs> That's true. But, God. Yeah. Yes. Whether yeah. effectively or not is a whole other question. It's at the tail end of a response to, this is like yeah. literally when he's responding to the common cause complaint to the FEC. It's like a written statement in response to that. Yep. So, well, let him deal with that in his deposition. Right. No, exactly. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm not saying that it, it can't survive a motion to dismiss and we can't depose him about it. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah. And then the, I guess the last thing I'll say is just to say that we don't even have time to talk about the Karen McDougal case right? where she is suing the National Enquirer's parent company and all of the people involved in uh, that, uh, you know, which includes her own attorney. High five, Which Charles. includes, yeah, yeah, high five, because uh, we were like, he's clearly in on everything. In in all of the National Enquirer's catch and kill, where they bought her story and buried it. Uh, we're not even going to cover that. <laughs> and it's its own, like, incredible Michael Cohen adjacent case. Right. Um, where another person that Trump had an affair with is coming That's after so uh, people for just, you know, intimidation. Yeah. 
to all the killers and the hundred dollar billers. For real, because who ain't got no feelings? Feelings. Check it out now. Stuck off the realness, we be the infamous, you heard of us, official Queensbridge murderers, the mob comes equipped for warfare, beware of my crime family who got enough shots to share for all those who want to profile and pose, rock you in your face, stab your brain with your nose bone, you all alone in Here we are, uh, in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, at the Schlitterbond Water Park, in what is, like, not... At its core, like it's not a, a funny or amusing story at all. Uh, going back, like, what is it, three or four years now, the Schlitterbahn uh, Amusement Park, the water park in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, had verucked the tallest water slide in the world, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, uh, which was designed by a couple of third graders uh, using balsa wood. Uh, and unsurprisingly, uh, a lot of people got hurt on this slide, culminating uh, in the death of a 10-year-old child. Um, and Charles, and how did he time, die? He died. He was decapitated. It's gruesome. By, he was decapitated by one of the... So by the by the safety netting mm. uh by the the supports for the safety netting on the ride because it was so tall that it would make the raft that people were sitting in airborne and airborne enough to hit the support uh structure for the safety netting and so he at the time it was considered just like one of those kind of unavoidable tragedies that no one could have foreseen. Like the, just the way the, the press play was tragic, but just now we have to close the ride. And this week, uh, an indictment dropped uh, against both the park and one of its employees. And it lays out in excruciating detail how this ride never, ever should have been opened. First of all, just this this whole thing started because one of the third graders that you mentioned wanted to be featured in like a travel channel show. Like he wanted to be featured on extreme <laughs> water parks. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah. start, first letters in X. Yeah. Capital X. Extreme. Yeah. To just so. We're so like he, he came up with this like harebrained scheme to like make a really big water slide. You know, like he, they didn't use any like formulas they didn't use any algebra they just used sandbags to test this thing and then they opened it to the public yeah. i don't know like the the facts that they lay out are just incredible like I, I cannot believe it yeah i mean building an amusement park ride like requires a process of real engineering meaning like science meaning engineers meaning <laughs> physics meaning like math do some calculations and um i mean b based on how this indictment is laid out none of that happened they were just like let's make a fucking huge slide and then they did it and they seem to almost revel in the fact that they were doing it like by the seat of their pants you know what i mean like they kind yeah. of brag about like yeah this thing could kill me if i do it wrong you know and it's just <laughs> like they really seem to be asking for it yeah, I mean, the way they dealt with the American Society for Testing and Materials Engineering verification 
is that they signed a sheet of paper saying that they followed the ASTM <laughs> guidelines. <laughs> right. They literally they literally self-verified by saying that they had uh, checked everything. And not just... But they didn't do anything. And not just like self-verified, or- but... Sorry, Charles, to cut you off. Not just self-verified, but admitted ignoring industry standards, saying that they're going to make new standards, <laughs> yes. and then they'll educate <laughs> right. the industry about those standards. And I think he said something like... Um, I think it was Henry, who is um, like a owner. an owner, right, of the of Schlitterbahn Parks. He says something like, "Oh, you know that that forty eight inch height rule. I mean, why do kids got to be forty eight inches tall? Why not forty seven inches? Like, I just <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, it's another it's another one of those complaints." where you see people on the verge of making the right decision <laughs> and then always making the wrong decision. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like they're like like the guy was arguing about the height requirements and then there's another point where given how dangerous it was in testing, they're like, "Hmm, maybe we should make the minimum age on this 15." Nope. And they thought about it and they're like, "Meh." No, they put no a minimum sticker. Age. They put a sticker over Right. First it was right. 16 and then it was 14 and then they were like, nah. <laughs> they covered right. it up. And then they just put it. Yeah. They literally blocked the the, the sign yeah. Uh, yeah. and let like, you know, four-year-olds on it. Right. <laughs> okay. If you had a 48-inch tall four-year-old, it could ride Varric. <laughs> well, they also, um, like their first run at it. So the design was a very steep drop followed by like an uphill and then another drop. And the problem was on that uphill, the RAS would go airborne. Right. And then hit the uh, safety railing above. Um, and so like their first design, they were like, oh, the rafts are going airborne. We need to fix that. And they did like a, a new design and they're like, they're still going airborne. Oh, well. Oh, well. We got to open. <laughs> like we're, we're at our deadline. Uh, time to time to go for it. You know? Yep. Cross our fingers and hope for the best, you know? And when I say two third graders, I'm only exaggerating a little because they describe, they describe uh, Jeff Henry, Jeffrey Henry, uh, like we call him Henry, but that's his last name. Uh, He is a, he is a high school dropout. He dropped out of high school to work at his father's water park. So he has, he was the micromanaging head designer who had literally no education, right. no right. engine, like not, not he didn't have an engineering background. He like didn't take physics. Right. Right. And then the other person was uh, John Schooley, who was called the lead designer, uh, who has no, this is what the indictment says, no engineering credentials relevant to amusement ride design or safety. Hell yeah. So he may have like some credentials, Right. They're unclear about that, but he has no specific credentials and he is responsible. This actually is a pretty great thing. Schooley was the person responsible for doing, quote unquote, the math that went into Verruck's design. I love that they put the math in scare quotes. It's That's amazing. what I was pointing out. <laughs> yeah, in amazing. the indictment, the math is scare quoted yes. because there was no math yeah. actually done. Just before we get into in like the, the legal stuff, like I- – I, I want to encourage all of our listeners to like Google like what this slide looked like because I mean you look at it and we're like this looks like something that you would make on Roller Coaster Tycoon as a psycho 12 year old to like kill all your little like people who go visit it and m- more importantly this thing was going 40 miles an hour or like, more 
Or more. That's very yeah. fast. That is faster <laughs> than you can drive in a city. And you're on a fucking water slide. They Velcroed people into it and shot them down <laughs> a concrete shoot. Uh, uh, the concrete. A concrete like, shoot at 43 or to 45 miles per hour. Uh, and, and then the, okay. the landing zone had a concrete wall at the end that they routinely So you could splat and against would get it. Injured, right. like, even if you survived the ride, people would get injured at the bottom when they, when they fucking slammed like into the breaking their wall. Feet. Yeah. So, like, so wait, there were, there were a bunch of, uh, and let's scare quote this word, safety devices. Right? <laughs> there were, like right. there were multiple brake pads along the route, which were supposed to slow the raft. There was netting, which seems like a safety device because it's supposed to keep, like, if the thing goes airborne, it keeps you from flying off the track. Unfortunately, it also decapitates the downside, you. Unfortunately, what? it also right. decapitates well, the downside, yeah. Right, the downside to putting netting over a, a 40-mile-an-hour water slide is that something has to hold up the net. Right. And you'd think that maybe it would be held up by poles on either side of the course, but no, it is not. It is held up by loops. <laughs> yes. So there are literal periodic uh, hard obstructions over the course of the ride, including just past the apex of the second hump, which is what kept launching the rafts. And it's like, it's not even that it was just inertia. Right. It had this huge initial drop and it wasn't just inertia that carried it over the second the water uh, pump. There were water jets to blow the thing faster <laughs> yes. over the second hump, which is what made it accelerate even more. It, and so it like there were there were there was video of the owners who wrote it in testing going airborne. There were tons of records that they knew it went airborne. There are videos of them watching and going, oh, man, they almost hit the net there. <laughs> right? Like, this is all in the indictment, mm -hmm. all of these video records of them just sort of knowing how dangerous this thing is. In was. a way, it's just like a very, very fast, like, guillotine. Like, this is like the, the French Revolution. We yeah. love this shit. Right. There was a string of injuries leading up to this too. I mean, yeah. fractured yes. orbitals, people breaking the orbital their feet. fractures. Yeah, including including yeah, a broken face basically. Yeah, um, right. Broken face, multiple concussions. Who is the poor Schlitterbahn employee who had to write at the end of that injury list that child injury decapitation? Oh God! I yes. mean, that was I know brutal. Oh, I think that's just the indictment. I don't think that was. <laughs> that was uh, well, if you read the indictment, you, you realize that no one was writing uh, the injuries because they were all coached. No, 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 no. That's not true. What? No, they were. They, they like they, That was part of the. That's why one of the guys got indicted. Oh. Is that the, there were there were thousands of daily operations reports that they didn't disclose mm. in the initial document request. There was in one of the in one of the incidents where one of the guys had, like, a concussion. I mean, there were a couple. In one of them, there's a guy, like, with a concussion in the medical tent, and it's unclear who it was, but by all accounts, it appears to be Henry, who goes in and talks to the dude in the medical tent with a concussion and brags that he designed it. <laughs> yeah. Right? He's like, oh, right? did you Very just cool. ride that? I'm the one that built it. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I, th but they, I thought that but was they, the guy with the broken toes. 
Uh, yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, it might be. Yeah. It, was, it might have which, been the guy with the broken the, toes because they slammed into the concrete at the far right, end. After his safety the, harness had broken, and so he jammed his feet as hard as he could into the front to keep him in. Right, the Flintstones <laughs> breaking that. Right, and then when it hit the concrete wall, it broke his toes. And then he goes yep. to the tent, and while they're treating him, the owner comes sauntering up to brag about how he, how he designed the ride and what a badass ride it is. Yep. And just to like, bring it back to the, just to bring it back to kind of the indictment and the, and the legal stuff. So we have the company, um, the company Schlitterbahn and then Tyler Austin miles, who's the former director of operations. Um, both of these parties, people charged with um, involuntary manslaughter, which is recklessly yep. causing the death of somebody aggravated battery, aggravated endangering a child and interference with law enforcement. And just a note, I um, was checking out the aggravated endangering a child statute. And um, in Kansas, um, a sentence, if you're found guilty for aggravated endangering a child, this sentence must be served consecutively. So Oof. it goes on top of whatever sentence um, they get for anything else. I have to look at the indictment list, but there were, I think, at least three minors, including the kid who was killed right. on that list of injuries. Right. Like uh, you can find because they only they only have the initials if the uh, if the person being referred to is a minor. Um, but but Miles ended up being Miles got indicted individually. He was like the head of operations and he got indicted individually because one, he didn't disclose all of these daily ops reports that revealed all kinds of problems. And two, in one of the cases where someone was hurt early on, he took the medical report and just seems to have thrown it away. Right. Like they still haven't found the incident reports from a couple of these injuries, even though there are witnesses who testify that they were given specifically to Miles. And, and so I think also um, when you when you read the complaint, at least uh, my interpretation was they sort of set out in detail how Henry and Schooley had knowledge prior to the ride opening of all the risks it presented but they don't seem to have any evidence that they knew that people were actually getting injured or that the brake pads were failing or had failed. Uh Whereas they have extensive evidence that miles knew there were a string of incidents, including a guy, you know, breaking his face (laughs) on the bar and that the brake pads had been failing for months and that they had literally fallen off and that there were no more brake pads 10 days prior to this kid getting killed. Like they had strong evidence that he knew of these things. Whereas the only evidence they provided that either Henry or, or Schoolie knew about this was this guy who said the owner or somebody came up bragging about being the ride designer, but they made a point of saying that he couldn't pick out, uh, you know, his face from a lineup. So they, they didn't really have. Right, Cause he had a concussion and <laughs> right. they were getting medical treatment. Right. Yeah. He said and he was they paying didn't... more attention to his injuries than this asshole. And, right. And right. they're interviewing him like two or three years later. Right. But like they, he describes him as wearing like a baseball cap and glasses and being a certain age and height. And right. they're like, it's definitely like, him. It was definitely hit. Like right. the indictment is like the indictment's like, we can't charge him, but this was Henry. Right. But, <laughs> like, we know this was Henry. But, but so they can prove that Miles has this knowledge of, you know, its active dangerousness. Uh, 
um, in a way that I don't think they could prove for the owners. Right. Uh-huh. Whether or not we, and we beyond assume the ride, that they knew it, which I, I assume they did. Well, I, w- I would say, I don't know. I think they probably still could charge the owners That's because, right. again, on all of these, I mean, the state of mind is only recklessness, right? So if you mm-hmm. knew during testing that this stuff was happening, then yeah. I think it would be pretty, I think it'd be pretty easy to show that you were reckless then in allowing the public to do it. That was, that was, was, that was what my, sort of my question is, is why with all that they have uh, with Henry and Schooley uh, is only this lower level employee being charged. You've got, you've got, you know, the kid who died uh, is the son of like a a Kansas state rep or something. Right. Um, And there has been a a civil settlement as respects the maker of the boat. Uh, and the two corporate entities. Uh, but part of that civil settlement, as I understand it, still permits them to go after, quote unquote, other actors or other responsible mm-hmm. parties. So it may be that this is still developing. Yeah. No. You know what, yeah. guys? I don't actually think that the owners are off the hook because I'm reading now that Jeff Henry uh, was arrested today. He was in uh, Cameron County, Texas, which is a uh, Brownsville, far south Texas, arrested today for 12 counts aggravated battery and five counts of aggravated child endangerment. It was a go. warrant, a warrant out of Kansas. There we go. We don't need to speculate anymore. Maybe they just uh, were actually looking for the well, That's guy. what I thought. I mean, it seems like there was other stuff developing. So that's good to know. Well, yeah. Have, have any of you guys have you ever been was... to Schlitterbahn Park, by the way? No. Well, I have been <laughs> uh, <laughs> many times. I have also, Christina. Uh, did, Rihanna, did you also feel like you were about to die every time you rode one of those water slides? Uh, for sure. It was also disgusting. So. It, yeah, because it's like water straight from the river. Like, it's like, <laughs> like you see the river and then like you, you look at yourself in the slide and you're like, this is like river water. So you break you break your yeah. face and then you get MRSA. That's right. Right. <laughs> right. A bang bang. Uh, Charles, hey, Charles, look, Charles, I'm, and I uh, are, are old enough and and, and yeah, no stranger enough, to dangerous parks uh, to to remember Action Park, uh, which was exactly <laughs> in this tradition of concrete shoots uh, uh, you know, <laughs> sliding down mountains with you know designed by uh, complete morons. Uh, Action Park. You want to you want to trade names? Yeah, Action Park being known uh, to the area hospitals as Class Action Park, <laughs> Traction, Traction Park. Park, Fracture Park, you know, so. <laughs> Jesus. Um, like, uh, Therese Mahler, who uh, is or was a DJ on WFMU, uh, had it, like, I used to run, like, a kind of variety show in New York, and she did, like, a great presentation uh, on the history of Action Park and all the people who got hurt, which I think was then sort of swiped by other people. Uh, after we put it online, but like, is this like the history is amazing. I mean, the thing that they were known for, and I really wish I remembered, like my mind is blanking on the name of it, but it was like, it was this slide where you would be on basically a lunch tray with a break (laughs) and you would go down like a, like a long, like it's just a long, all poured concrete, like, twisting thing that goes like top to bottom. And if you just let the brake go, you really fly down this thing, which was kind of problematic because you couldn't see the whole course from the top. And so the person letting people go 
really had no idea who else was on the ride. And so if someone in front of you is being cautious and pulling on the brake and you are not, you're just going to rear end someone on the course. It's poured concrete with no shade. And so it got like excruciatingly hot. Like the surface of the ride would get hot. And beyond the actual physical temperature burns, if you leaned too far to the side, you would get friction burns yeah, get road from rash. the side of the concrete as you zoom down it. And that doesn't even include the people who hopped the edge and literally fell off the ride. <gasps> or slammed into the concrete at the end just like this thing. It's so right. yeah. This to me, that's the American right. dream right there. <laughs> right. And what I remember, and like Therese talked about this too, is they had like a water slide loop-de-loop. Like it was just literally a one, tube, yeah. a tube that would do one loop around. Upside okay? down. Once, yeah, you would go tech, like officially you would go upside down if you did this correctly. It was open maybe, maybe for three days in its entire existence (laughs) because like they would send crash test dummies through it and like they would come, they would end up in pieces. (laughs) The first time they did it, like when they first built it, they didn't have an escape door at the bottom. And if you didn't achieve sufficient velocity, you wouldn't do the loop. You would just slide back to the bottom and they had to cut the guy out. Oh my God. Like this, like there was no planning in the design. And like he would, they would offer, like it was all teenage employees and he'd like, he'd like offer him 50 bucks to be the human test dummy (laughs) on these things. And so, like, they could never get it open because it literally didn't work. It was just, like, some guy's homebrew experiment because he thought, like, a, like a human water slide with a loop-de-loop would be awesome. And it was just always closed when I went. And then years later, I found out that it was essentially always closed. <laughs> can, can, can I tell a story that is, you know, Tar can cut this. It's not really a dangerous water slide story, but it is a good, funny water slide story. I want to hear yes, it. Please. Go for it. Okay. This is a guy who works for my family business. He's our, he's our head salesman. Huge guy. He's like 300 plus pounds. Uh, Disney World going on one of those water slides that just shoots down really steep. Uh, you know, and they tell you to cross your hands over your chest. And cross your legs, um, and you know, and you kind of shoot down like a bullet. Uh, but he, you know, is never one to follow directions, and he went down with his legs splayed and his arms in the air, <laughs> like grinning like a fucking asshole. And uh, you know, they tell you to cross your legs for a reason, and the fucking the water like literally shot up his asshole like an enema. <laughs> he just dumped out in this cloud of brown shit. <laughs> just surrounded by shit water. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, oh my god. god. <laughs> uh, well, oh. it was certainly worth it. <laughs> um, 
Okay, now, okay, so now to get back a little to, to the Schlitterbahn attack. So we've gone through like everything. Oh my God. I don't even know how we could go back, but. So beyond all of the stuff, which is like crazy that they got indicted for, the sort of postscript is that the 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 kid who died, like Tarek mentioned this before, was the son of a state uh, legislator, uh, a representative in the Kansas, uh, like in one of the Kansas legislative bodies, and like actually that's kind of relevant to the complaint. Because the day that he's there is like a friends and family day where they invite all of these public officials to like kiss their ass and like show them a good time. Uh, but anyway, so not surprisingly, after uh, after this tragedy, um, the the family of the kid sues. But Kansas in large part because of this kid's father, uh, uh, Representative Schwab, has very severe damage count (laughs) of like $300,000 for torts above economic damages, right? Tort reform in Kansas caps damages at $300,000 above economic damages. And the fact is... For a 10-year-old, economic damages are always really low because you're not replacing any wages. You're not replacing earnings. Like, the the courts treat children as having, like, no independent economic value. And so ordinarily, there would be a $300,000 cap. Somehow, he settled for $20 million. Well, because they settled, I don't think... They settled before they even filed a complaint, I think. No, 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 no. But the point is the park could have, if it went to trial, could never have been forced to pay more than economic damages plus $300,000. It's not like they could cover up the fact that the kid's head was cut off by the ride. (laughs) That was already in the news. Like, they weren't covering anything, right? But what they did is... To me, it's twofold. Number one, there's a choice of law principle in Kansas that allows you to kind of import laws from other states. And because some of the various Schlitterbahn entities are headquartered in Texas, and Texas, amazingly, does not have damage caps, which shocked me. I would have thought that Texas would have been the first tort reform state, but Texas doesn't have damage caps, so they alleged a kind of choice of law principle, which would allow them to duck the $300,000 damage cap. I don't know how strong that claim is. What I do know is that the Schlitterbahn Water Park had no interest in Representative Schwab trying to get the state of Kansas to regulate water parks any more than they already do. And even though there's like no evidence of this, the whole thing stinks to me of being effectively a $20 million lobbying payment slash bribe to keep Representative Schwab uh, a good libertarian who 
wants to impose damage caps on everybody but, but himself. himself. There's going to be like some weirdo tanky that listens to this episode and is like thinking like, yeah, it's really good praxis to invite a bunch of like Republican representatives in and then killing their children. Like a watermark. Oh <laughs> right. The new DSA water park. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which will be designed uh, with a with a second grade class's marble. That's bar. right. I want I want to circle back to something Charles sort of alluded to, but I think is worth like explicating, which is like there's like a kind of I don't I wouldn't even say bitter, but like a fucked up irony to this, which is that the complaint sort of implies, if not outright, like states that, you know, we mentioned the brake pads basically fell off this ride and the complaint basically says, you know, their presumption is, or the conclusion they've inferred is that uh, uh, they continued to run the ride for 10 more days uh, precisely to get to the end of the season for this special day where the representatives, elected officials come and mingle with, uh, you know, executives. And this is when the kid died, is they were basically trying to get to this day so that they hit into the low season when it's off, you know, five days a week and they could repair it. Um, But they were like, we'll just get through August 7th, we're in the clear. And then yep. the kid died on August 7th, which is, it's kind of yeah. horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they, and like some of the low level employees who were responsible for fixing it tried to claim that there was never a brake pad. Oh yeah. But there, but then there was like multiple GoPro videos that showed it. And then they're like, aha. Oh yeah. Well then it was someone else's. What was the thing that was fixed with a rubber band? Oh, uh, some, so sensors. Yeah, some sensors, some sensors like that had, that was one of the other injuries that was just, I think someone who got a concussion was like, and when I, when I started the ride, I saw them fidgeting with rubber bands <laughs> to fix some sensors. And oh. then all of a sudden they just started the ride and sent me rocketing right, down this lash Cause the ride started so suddenly. Yeah. yeah. She got like a concussion and she was like blind for 10 minutes. Right. Very cool. From the, and, and, from the impact. You know, and I also want to highlight that um, the park's lawyer uh, is giving I oh, think, yeah. Michael Cohen a run for his money for, like, lawyer of the podcast. Um, <laughs> in, in his efforts, oh, yeah, I completely forgot about this. Yeah, like, there was a whistleblower, basically, a park, uh, I think it was a lifeguard, who went to the cops and was like, look, this thing is really dangerous, and people have been telling them it's dangerous, and people have been getting injured. Um, and they've been even doctoring the injury reports. Uh-huh. And uh, this lawyer showed up at their door, at the door of this lifeguard, and was like, look, the cops said for you to give us the, uh, the, the report you filed with them. And they were like, get the fuck off our property. And so then they called the cops, and their lawyer told this detective that, hey, the family said you should give us this report. Like, why don't, why don't you send it on over? Just lying to the police, it's like, Pretty ballsy. Yeah, it was like it was like an incredible back and forth. He shows up at their house and he's like, the police told me to tell you to give me the report. And then they were like, we're not giving you the report. Yeah, mom's like, get the fuck out. Yeah. Wait. And so then they call the police and they're like, he just told me uh, to give you. He told me that you said I should give him the report. Right. And the cops go. And the cops go, I'm glad you didn't give it to him. Also, funny story, <laughs> he just called me 
and told me that you said it was okay for me to give it to me. <laughs> and then like, he, called like the he just again. keeps calling back yeah. and forth. <laughs> and then he called the family one last time. He was like, oh, I just spoke to the detective. <laughs> and he said, you know, send the report right over. <laughs> it's like, unbelievable. It's unreal. Like, and they name him. Yes. Like his name is actually in the indictment. Yeah. Okay. And I, fa- I found him uh, <laughs> licensed in both Kansas and Missouri. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> um, so love yeah. our profession. Ugly. Yes. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting one. This is uh, why people fucking hate bar. lawyers, man. <laughs> like that. Michael, you're not even a lawyer anymore. I'm not. It's true. Shut the fuck <laughs> I don't up. On my <laughs> you guys, my mom's gonna be so happy. I haven't sworn this month, like I'm much at all. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So here's here's how we're gonna close. Uh, we're gonna close this episode uh, by uh, dunking on my like literal uh, favorite story of 2017, which was the hilarious collapse of Theranos, uh, the fakest corporation in the world. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, uh it's it's sort of fascinating. So they so the SEC has now indicted Elizabeth Holmes, the founder and principal of Theranos and Theranos itself uh for uh for fraud. Well, she, wait, she didn't uh, get really indicted, raising, did she? It's just like SEC indicted. So like not not yeah, real law. I mean, I mean, she's got to <laughs> disgorge herself, right or whatever. You know. Yeah, and I think I mean I think it was filed as a as a criminal complaint, not a civil. Um, but the uh, <laughs> they alleged like what they alleged was that literally everything about Theranos was fake, right? Like <laughs> right. for people for people who don't remember, Theranos uh, was this magic company <laughs> that was going to revolutionize blood testing, where instead of having to take multiple vials of blood to do all of the kind of battery of tests that doctors uh, have to do, they could use like a diabetic's finger stick, right? Like that you use just to do the sugar test and they could run an entire panel of thousands of tests on just a finger stick of blood. Uh, And it turns out that the most that they were ever able to do uh, with a finger stick using Theranos technology was 12. Yes. And other than that, (laughs) they, other than that, they modified someone else's machine to take a finger stick instead of a vial of blood. Cause they never had access to more than like a finger. No, no, no. They, they would, they would take like actual venous blood samples, like from, (laughs) and like, so there was this one reporter who went to some like, like CVS or Walgreens or whatever in Arizona. And and like, they took a vial of blood from him and he was like, wait, I thought you were supposed to do a finger prick. And like, the (laughs) phlebologist was like, uh, well, it's like a random sample. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my, my favorite story was Google Ventures. Yes, yes. Like, oh my God. 
wanting to do like a venture capital and asking Theranos for like, you know, all the sorts of documents you'd expect. Like, how do you do it? Right. Yeah. Wanting background and them denying Google. It's called the trade secrets. Right. And so, and so Google was like, you know what? We're just going to send someone like they sent like a VC Mm -hmm. guy to like a Walgreens and to one of their little wellness centers. And he was like, you're taking three vows of my blood here. What the, what the fuck? Well, did you ever, did you guys ever read about like the, like how she explained the process of how, yes. like, oh my God. Like this she- quote is amazing. So she literally says when asked like what happens, she literally says, quote, a chemistry is performed so that a chemical reaction occurs and generates a signal from the chemical interaction with the sample, which is translated into a result, which is then reviewed by certified laboratory personnel. Honestly, like, Elizabeth Holmes what? should be president. I like this is the best. Like free Liz, hashtag free Liz. Like that, she's awesome. That literally is how Trump would describe how a bill becomes yes. a law. The, fir- the first bill, the first bullet point in my notes is just that quote. It's like such a wonderful quote. <laughs> a pro- <laughs> like, a I, chemistry is yeah. performed. Right, a chemistry well, is performed. So, if you didn't read it, I was going to read it. It's, it's okay. So okay. So so Google Ventures just has like this guy. Get sucked dry by Dracula <laughs> to like get to get a cholesterol test. Um, other VCs and other people, when they come to tour the facility, are like shown this like Potemkin room yeah. with like a dozen of Theranos's mini labs, which are allegedly performing all the tests. Mm-hmm. But in fact, some number of the tests are being performed on someone else's machines. Like they just bring in, they bought someone else's testing equipment and modified it so it could do finger sticks. But other stuff, it seems like they're just like dropping it off at Quest Diagnostics (laughs) and being like, test this for us. (laughs) Like, and and like, so it's like, it's all fake. I mean, and it's just, I mean, like to me, this is so much more of a, like, of a feature than a bug of Silicon Valley because she was just like primed to steal money because like she was a woman. She was like a, like had a sort of enigmatic story about her and Stanford dropout. Yeah. Like, and she had all these like very high level government people backing her up. Like Henry Kissinger was trying to set her up on dates, which is just, a great, and I think was on the board. He was on the board. I think Mattis was on the and board. And if you read That's stories about her from defense. twenty, like yeah. twenty fourteen to twenty sixteen, she just had all these puff pieces written about her, and they are just fascinating to compare, like them with like the stories that are coming about her, coming out about her now, because they're just totally just you can't. It's hard to square the circle there. Yeah, and I think what's unique about the securities fraud like aspect is though like. Usually with securities fraud, I think we see it described as as fraud on investors. And yes, that's that's what it is. But it usually entails victimizing somebody else in order to make money for shareholders. Right Mm -hmm. here, Holmes and and Theranos, they really are straight up deceiving straight up investors. I mean, they're having them come in, do a fake pinprick of their fingertip and then lying saying they're testing it on their technology right it's so cool she's so cool (laughs) well i mean another thing is like and this wasn't even in because this is an sec case i like i swear there was a story that the results were essentially random 
that they were like that with a lot of people, they were basically just making up the results too. Well, she because they couldn't, even and like someone class, got some result that the doctor looked at it and was like, "You should literally be dead. <laughs> this can't be right." Well, whenever she was in college, she like talked to one of her professors about her like big idea, and he basically told her like, "No, this is biologically impossible because whenever you prick <laughs> someone's finger, like you're getting all the shit on their finger, like you're not getting a clean draw, basically." And she was like, "Oh," and then just decided to do it anyway. Well, yeah, you know, one thing I wonder when I read all these profiles of her and these, like, retrospectives on, like, the rise and fall of Theranos is, like, she doesn't strike me as a grifter so much as, like, a true believer who thought the technology would just catch up. Right. You know, that, yeah. like, like, she well, seemed to really, I, I don't know, I might be wrong, but she seemed to really think that they were, you know, it was right around the corner any day now they were going to have their... Their pinprick test. I mean, I think she was uh, just a megalomaniac. I mean, she had, she's probably her entire life has had people telling her about how amazing she is and that her voice is normal and that she should keep dyeing her hair that awful, awful color. Totally normal. Wait, wait a second. I was promised an impression. Oh, yes. oh, wait. I, I, I think I have, I think I have Elizabeth Holmes calling in on the phone right now. She, you know, she, uh, wow, wow. Liz? I didn't even Liz? know she had you my number. Yourself? Okay, I'm, I'm putting her on the air. <clears throat> uh, you know, I uh heard that you guys were uh, talking about me and uh, my uh blood draw uh technology, and you know, I I, I really think that the uh, technology is going to catch up with uh with what we are, we're planning here at, at Theranos. Uh, sorry, uh, Henry Kissinger's on the line. I gotta go. <laughs> wow, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this I think this I I've never actually heard her speak and I feel like this forgives my Alex Jones. You impression. need to you need to like look her <laughs> it's up. It's not great, Charles. It's not great. <laughs> um but like but she didn't just lie about she didn't just lie about the tests. I mean she also lied about all of her sales. Yeah. I mean yeah. Oh, yeah. they yes. she like they got they had business arrangements. You mentioned Walgreens, which is where they were doing some tests. So they, I think they also had, I, I think I read that Safeway. $350 million they spent. In the indictment. Right. And so, but they, they lied about, like they had some military contract, but it was worth like 300 grand well, or something. Mattis, actually, interesting. Mad Dog Mattis was the one who pushed that one through. Right, and the FDA right, but they lied it. about the size of yeah. it and right. the scope of it to anyone else who they were trying he to. He said invent. that it was on medevac helicopters in Afghanistan, which is like garbage. <laughs> like that never, never happened. Not true, you know. It's, right. It's like, and and just to give you to to give you a sense of how much they raised from VC people, seven hundred million dollars. Like this, this was a company that had a market cap in excess of a billion dollars and what they basically did was surreptitiously drop your blood samples in like the collection box outside of a mall testing center. Just, I mean, what's really incredible is that she was still getting funding like fairly recently. Like I'm talking yeah, a couple like right weeks ago. Right up until the end. Like she yeah. was still getting funded. Wait, really? She was getting funded after the Vanity Fair Oh, article? absolutely she was, yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, like these people deserve to be sucked dry of blood and money. <laughs> That's amazing. 
Because, I mean, she, I mean, the indictment came down literally with her plea. Yeah. Right. right. And so she got, uh, she, she, I think, takes nothing from this. I don't know if she is, like, legitimately poor, but it says that she never sold any of her Theranos stock. Right. And so she's got to surrender all of it. So they're now worthless and she has to give them up anyway. Right. She has to give them up. They're worthless because she never would have been able to claim anything until investors made back three quarters of a billion dollars. <laughs> Where right? does like the money she go? has like low priority recovery. And so I think she actually walks away with this from this with nothing. Um Unless, like, she's been able to sort of get money in other ways. Like, I guess she's been getting a salary. Right. I, I think her salary totals for the last few years have been approaching $2 million. Yeah. Total. So not nothing. She's still better off than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you don't have to wear her awful outfit and also have to bleach your hair. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God! Lucky I would you. look if I were if I wore the uh, Elizabeth Holmes ensemble, I would just look like I was like being knight for Halloween. <laughs> it's just so funny how like <laughs> she tried to just uh, develop this mythos around herself, like where she just wore the same thing every day. All she ate was like green and juice. Steve Jobs. Right. She wore the Steve Jobs yeah. outfit. Well, Wait, you know, though I I talked over the eating. What was her diet? <laughs> Green juice. Green juice. Was in. Oh. Yeah. Like she would drink green juice like five times a day. Which I mean, the whole thing, uh, you know, this is an obscure reference, but I don't know if you guys saw the remake of the Thomas Crown Affair with Rene Rousseau and Pierce Brosnan. No, because we're not fucking nerds. Hey. Rousseau, the philosopher. Is that how she pronounces her name? Is it whatever? The <laughs> main point is that the character is supposed to be enigmatic and brilliant, and she wears black turtlenecks and drinks green juice. And, you know, the whole thing, like, uh, what's her name? Holmes sounds like somebody who just watched too many movies as a kid and was, like, convinced that she was this person of destiny. Mm -hmm. If she dressed a certain way and acted a certain way and just believed it enough. The science will catch up. You know? Yeah, exactly. And that she no, would it does. be... If she'd be at the forefront of now, all she is is, yeah, is think, broke and like having the shits because you shouldn't drink just green juice. For <laughs> so congratulations, Terrible case Liz. Of irritable bowel syndrome. And, and how is she going to get tested to figure out what she? I know has? she's afraid of needles. What is she going to do? Afraid of needles? Yeah, she 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 uh, didn't she like compare pricking people for for blood tests? She compared it to torture. <laughs> yes she was, she was inspired by her fear of needles and that was uh, great story that was that's yeah maybe she'll finally finish that degree yeah. or her novel i mean it's, <laughs> the entire theranos testing system was essentially kramer from seinfeld doing movie phone <laughs> You know, don't you just tell like, me like people, people just why don't you just tell me what you'd like to be tested for? <laughs> like for um, all the people who are under like 35, Seinfeld was a show that was on in the 90s. They saw it in reruns. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, you know, another fact that I think I want on the record in our podcast is that her security guard uh, security you know, personnel called her Eagle One. That's so cool. God, that's so fucking embarrassing. <laughs> and when we go with two, watches too many movies, I think that belongs in that category of just like. Uh, um, oh, wait. Can I just read? 
in part of the fraud. Because I always love, in the same way that I loved uh, Shkreli, uh, just telling sort of fabulous nonsense about his assets under management, when Holmes was meeting with investors, the financials showed 2014 net revenues of $108 million and projections for the next two years of $240 million and $750 million. In fact, Theranos recorded little more than $100,000 in revenue in 2014. So, you know, just a typo. <laughs> it just is close. close Missed enough. a zero. Missed yeah. a couple of zeros. And some Theranos' projections stated Theranos would earn $40 million from pharmaceutical services, $46 from hospitals, and $9 million from uh, lab services to physicians' offices. Uh, does anyone want to guess what the actual number was? It was it zero? Ones? It's zero. In f- zero. Hell yeah. Theranos had no revenues from any of those lines of business. Well, you know what it sounds like. It sounds like there's still room for someone to come up with the uh, Uber for blood. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be me. Um, so yeah, only if so, you're talking I mean, in nasally baritone voice all the time. And so she pled guilty. Uh, but I'm pretty sure uh, Ramesh Balwani, who was the the president and COO, has not pled yet, and so I don't even they don't even have the allegations in here against him. He's going with the uh, uh, like the crazy guess, bitch defense, where he's just going to blame everything on her. Yeah, no, I don't think so because he was he was brought in to be the babysitter, mm. like he was the adult. With like an actual corporate responsibility back, yeah, he was cooking the books. Who was yeah, and so I think he is going to end up taking it actually much harder uh, than she does because his uh, like like it it bars Elizabeth Holmes uh, in addition to the financial penalties and the stock surrender. It bars her from serving as uh, CEO of any public company forever. But For what the years. fuck other company was Elizabeth Holmes going to run? I'm just imagining like, her like in her room, like scratching really shitty ideas on the wall, like <laughs> uh, fecal samples at uh, Walgreens. <laughs> just one Q-tip up the rear. <laughs> we can get a full spectrum I've always had analysis. a fear of, of, of enemas. <laughs> But but Balwani like was an executive of like long standing, and when he gets hit mm-hmm. with like an industry bar, uh, that's actually going to be real for him. Like that is going to be like I don't know, you know, like Elizabeth Holmes is going to go get an MFA. <laughs> I don't know what Balwani's going to do. Elizabeth Holmes is going to reinvent herself on Twitter. <laughs> Just shit posting. <laughs> <laughs> Just shit posting memes about blood. That's Elizabeth right. Holmes go on Mike Dicta. Uh, ooh. <laughs> she already has been. <laughs> um, all right. I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, so I am going to thank everyone on uh, the panel. Uh, thank you to uh, Tarek, the hell dude, uh, Christina, Michael, and uh, on her first excellent appearance, uh, Rhiannon. My name is Charles Starr. Uh, thanks again for listening to Mike Dick. Thank you. Thanks. Heading. That was good. Feels so good.
you But I'm caught up paying dues What can I say? Like a hoosier, my eyes on you Love and I quickly swerve Other dudes will be flashing I fashion acting superior I keep it cash rocking boy from material Just the Pisces you may know Imagination run like Hussein Bolt Imagining you sing like T-Pain Soul One tiny desk in my Wu-Tang hold Like shimmy y'all, shimmy yam, shimmy yay Give me a hand so I can take you away Though I left that set for a late I'm still saying ho, you can call me bae Ay. Sex ain't gon' keep you round These players and pimpins and got you stressing and deep in doubt But if you got trust, I'll make sure it's mutual You ain't gotta be a bad pitch to be beautiful, beautiful. Let me show you. 